let's say you're building a city. And obviously, if you notice, if you look at the map around the world, you'll notice that all the major population centers around the world are located next to water. Not an accident. Uh, part of that is because it's very easy to transport things by boat, certainly easier than, say, horse-drawn buggies, certainly if you, assuming you even have roads, or by donkeys or burros or mules or camels or whatever you have access to. So usually it's by water. Uh, you're going to build a new city, you discover a new land, and you've got the ocean, you've sailed your boat across the ocean, you found this new country, and there it is. You find an inlet, you find a place where the water goes in and out very easily. That's why New York happened, that's why London happened, that's why uh, Boston happened, that's why, I mean, name a major city, I don't know why I'm sticking to revolutionary period uh, England and US here, I'm not sure what's going on there. Uh, but you start with the water, and that's the way it's always been. You look at any major city in Europe, in Asia, it starts with the water. The other part of why water is so great is because it tends to be one of these ma magical things that um, erases all sins, so to speak. Uh, you have a dead body, toss it in the water. You just went to the bathroom, toss it in the water. Uh, meat went bad, toss it in the water. The water will wash it away, right? The water will push it past you. The water will get rid of it. You'll never see it again. You don't have to worry about it. Now, of course, as your city gets bigger and bigger, this becomes a problem. And I think uh, of what little history I am aware of, of the Thames in London in the 1850s. Um, who for hundreds of years, hundreds and hundreds of years, have been tossing all of those things and so much more into the Thames, knowing full well that it would just wash away. It'd go away, right? It goes out to the sea and, well, someone else can deal with it. But at some point, the Thames, or the London gets big enough that it's putting out so much, let's just call it waste, shall we, that the Thames doesn't work anymore. Or that is to say, it's not able to get rid of all that stuff the way it was. The shared resource of the Thames and the water is no longer capable of sustaining all the people who want to put stuff into it to get rid of it, right? And that is, and I think if you look at Wikipedia, it's called the Big Stink in the 1850s. The, the, uh, the poop problem, as it were, got so bad that all of London stunk to high heaven. And that's when you begin to start to have conversations of, okay, how are we managing our waste products? How are we managing our sewage? How are we managing our water? If water is a shared resource, if this is the stuff we're supposed to drink and bathe in, and all we're doing is getting rid of our crap in it, quite literally, um, something's got to give. Now, you haven't stumbled into the wrong podcast. <laughs> this isn't some sort of history podcast. But... I thought the Thames was a great example, not just because this subject was uh, sparked by a conversation I had uh, with Shane Gray over at Clinch, and this is not a, uh, a sponsorship in any way, shape, or form. It's just we had a great conversation. It sparked this thought. In fact, it's his thought, and I'm stealing it and running with it, so there you go. Hey, Shane, how you doing? Um, every day, you toss off your waste products every single day. All those people who apply for jobs and who are never getting a job and who will not get a job and did not get a job, you throw them back into the river from whence they came. Who cares? There's going to be more, right? Well, at some point, this is going to come back to bite you. Get ready for the big stink. Thank you. This is the Talent Cast. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Talent Cast, the podcast dedicated to helping you get smarter at recruiting and hiring. We're going to get into the nitty-gritty of employer brand and modern recruiting so that you, yes you, can hire better talent. Isn't that what we're all trying to do? I'm your host, James Ellis, and you can find me on Twitter at The War for Talent. That's at The War for Talent. Or on the TalentCast website. Got a question? Got a topic? Got an idea? Tweet me. I'd love to hear from you. Ready to roll up your sleeves and think big? Great. Let's get to it. 
Hey, James Ellis here. Uh, just so you know, let's see, today is Monday if I'm recording this. I am heading to Houston for Talent Management Summit in Houston on Tuesday. Otherwise, I've got ERE booked. I've got uh, I've got Talent Management Summit in Atlanta booked. I've got a couple other things going on. I'll put them in the show notes, all that good stuff. If you'd like me to come speak at your event, just find me, ping me, tweet me, all that good stuff for jamesellis.us. Anyway, so... Um, yeah, the big stink in the Thames. So yes, and it's not just because Shane is from Ireland. I'm fully aware that Ireland and London, Dublin and London are very, very different countries and cities. Um, I'm not you know, concatenating the two and pretending they're the same. But every day you get people who apply for a job that you're never, ever going to hire, right? Can we, can we just all agree to that? Remember the standard expectation is that you'd get 100 to 150 applicants for every given job? right? That's really what you expect to. In many cases, your, your recruiters don't even look at the open recs until it's got at least 50 or 60 recs in there to look at because the chances of the four recs or four people who apply that one of them is going to be a great applicant is so slim. Why bother looking? Let's wait till you've got a kind of a critical mass of applications and then I'll look for the recs. What you're doing is generating waste, okay? Every time you ask someone to apply for a job that you know they're never going to get, you are asking for waste. You are asking to say, well, this is a problem I'm going to create later. And this is a problem I'm going to easily fix with a automated process in my ATS in which I say, thank you so much for your application. And we really appreciate the time and patience you took in filling out this atrocious set of forms and fields in a, a software piece, piece of software designed in 1983. Uh, but you have not met our primary, or primary expectations and such. We really can't say, we can't move forward in this process. We really do hope you have a wonderful day. And if you think of it, maybe you'll apply again in the future. Thanks management, right? Isn't that every ATS <laughs> thanks but no thanks letter? Some sort of bullshit. Uh, thanks for your time and, and energy. And what it really should say is something like, hey, we know it took you either anywhere between two seconds if it was a one button application and an hour for many of these pieces to fill out these stupid forms that we can't figure out how to automate in any way, shape, or form. Uh, we really are sorry for getting your hopes up and hope, you know, and having you dream of this job that would be perfect for you. Uh, you're not perfect for us. So we uh, hope you go away and maybe later when you get some real skills and can actually do something helpful to us and provide some value, you come back. But I'm certainly by then, um, you won't hold a, hold a grudge towards us for making you spend that time and wasting your time on an application process. And of course, this presumes that anyone even responds to you. The great black hole of ATSs is real, folks. It is not a myth. It is not uh, a theory. It is real. Uh, I've applied for jobs, and at my level, I feel like, and I'm not patting myself on the back here, I feel like I should at least get a, you know what, I'm good, thanks, email. Uh, and half the time, I did not. Half the time, I did not. The black hole is real, and if you think you fixed your problem, you're wrong statistically. You are way off base. So here's what's really going on. Because, and and I say this with love recruiters and recruiting leaders more, than, more importantly, and hiring managers even more importantly, because you don't know what you want because you don't know how to be very specific and clear about saying, here's who I don't want. Because you won't put in things in your job posting that say things like, here's why you'll hate this job, or these are the kinds of people who will not be happy working at these kinds of jobs. Because you are so sure that your recruiter can find some sort of diamond in the rough, even though that's impossible because you've put 20,000 wrecks in their hands and expected them to go through each one like they're sorting through gold. And like, that, like that's not gonna be happening. Give me a break. Um, because you're casting your net as wide as humanly possible, in the hope
hopes that some magic will show up and that you'll see it when you see it, right? You've heard that line. Um, you are asking, begging, demanding, in fact, that you piss off hundreds of people every day. Now, I'm no business genius here, but if I was running a business and it turns out that one of my departments was pissing off hundreds of potential customers every single day, I'd find that concerning. You know, I, th I think that would be something I'd look into. I'd investigate. I'd wonder why are we asking so many people to go through a laborious process or even a simple process to say, hey, we're going to get your hopes up about this amazing job that you might get, except you won't because you don't even meet minimum requirements. And we know how to scan for minimum requirements, but we're going to let you apply anyway and get your hopes up. Give me a break. I mean, you've seen that, I think it's T-Mobile who's got the data that says every time they have a bad candidate experience, it's, you know, bad candidate experience has leads to millions and millions in lost sales because those people they're applying who they're interviewing are also customers. Well, don't stop the, start the process at the quote-unquote interview process or the quote-unquote candidate experience process. Candidate experience is not the website and the interview process. It's the simple fact that you are asking people to give their passion, soul, heart, love, time, blood, and sweat to you for free when you know full well you're never going to hire them. So stop. We need as recruiting professionals in whatever capacity, whether you're a recruiter or an employer brander or a recruitment marketer or whatever, we're all one big umbrella here. We're all responsible for doing this better, right? I'm not pointing blame. I'm not you know, pointing fingers and casting blame on anybody here. It's a system. I get that, but it's a system that can be fixed, right? If we stopped pretending that we need 100 to 150 applicants before we even, look, you know, to find a good candidate, that that's a a good sampling size to say, okay, look, if we asked, if we're looking for a data scientist or we're looking for an accountant or we're looking for a, a sales manager and we get 100 applicants, there's probably somebody good in there. That's kind of the mindset. Well, the mindset needs to shift. The mindset can't be, let's just get 100 applicants and see who the best one is. It's got to be, here's what I need, find them. Now, this is when sorcerers start to kind of go, hey, 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 this sounds familiar. This sounds like a job I can do. You're looking for a purple squirrel? Define the purple squirrel, and I will find the purple squirrel. And true, but how many hiring managers have no idea how to describe the purple squirrel in order to let sorcerers actually go find them out, to sort them out? How many, how often does a company have a, a strong enough employer brand that when the sorcerer finds that person, they actually have anything useful or interesting to tell that candidate? to tell that purple squirrel. You're asking them to hunt with no bait. Hunt with no, uh, hunt with no bait is probably a, a mixed metaphor, I don't care. Um, yeah, that's exactly what sorcerers should be doing, but we're not. And that's why it all comes back to this idea of, hey, I'm just gonna have a applicant process. Do my dirty work for me. I'm gonna put a couple hoops in the air, and if they can jump through the hoops, I will now justify having to say no to them. And that's wrong. That's just, there's no other place in business where that makes any kind of sense. Hey, you'd like to buy a car, house, boat, box of cereal. We're going to make you apply for this process and give us all your information, and maybe we'll say no. Houses are the only thing that comes close to this, but it's not a, we're going to get your hopes up and dash them. It's because that this is an incredibly uh, complicated process and, and a high demand and a high uh, competition system. You are fighting for that opportunity. And I get that to some extent you can say candidates are doing the exact same thing, but you never ever have a situation where 100 people apply for a house 
and you have to make 99 of them unhappy. That doesn't happen. If, you, if, if the stars align, you get like five people, and that's insane. That's like a story that HGTV would love to tell. But really it's about, look, this is the house, this is the job, this is what we're looking for, this is what it is. And the trick is, if you compare it to buying a house, and I think there are a lot of parallels here, here are some things that are different. I can go in the house and look at it. I can turn the faucets on. I can see, does the water pressure make any sense? Is it hard water or soft water? Is it quiet? Is it loud? Is it by train tracks? Is it by a highway? Is the backyard fenced off? Is there any sense of privacy? Is it a big backyard? Is it a sloping backyard? Is it a flat back backyard? Is there space for me potentially to build a deck? Hmm, that roof. When's the last time you replaced it? Oh, that's a long time. I'm going to have to replace that roof. So let me bring my inspector in to take a look at the foundation and the wiring and the panel and, 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 and then maybe I'll give you an offer or I'll give you an offer, but it's predicated on my inspector coming in and be able to do all that stuff. And I can walk away hands clean if it doesn't meet my satisfaction. That's like a job process to you? No, we hide so much stuff from the candidate what the job is, where your desk is, who your boss is, what your boss is really like, what your coworkers are really like, what the culture is really like, what's the work-life balance situation. Are you going home by 4.30? you going home by 4.30 in the morning. What is really going on with this job? What are the expectations? How do you measure success? What are the, the politics of the real job? Not the stuff that you can answer and get answered in an interview, but the reality of the job. And we hide all of that. Right? And there are people who talk about, well, let's just give them a tryout in the job. And you're like, okay, that's, that's, that's getting partly there. But it's not giving you a sense of, okay, turns out the third Friday of every month when numbers are due, the boss kind of gets really cranky and tends to lash out. And then after they lash out, they tend to try and cover it up by being super nice to you the next day. And then they tend to get a little pissy about that because they realize they've overcompensated. And by the way, this is a cycle that happens pretty much every month. That conversation never happens. Never happens. You've got to be in it to go, oh, yeah. You've got to be part of that foxhole with the other team members to go, does that happen to you here? Yeah, that happens to me all the time. Yeah, welcome to the team, kid. This is kind of how it is. Oh, the job's like that. So far, so good? Fantastic. But if you can't get enough of this stuff, I have some news. You can bring the James Ellis experience to your event or company. Just go to jamesellis.us and learn about all the kinds of custom presentations I can build and deliver for you or your team. But if it's time to get some hands-on help with your employer branding, recruiting, and hiring, either from the ground up or some strategic support, I would love to help. Just reach out to Proactive Talent or ProactiveTalent.com. That's where I work, and we can help you hire better. Cool? Cool. All right, let's get back to it. We don't talk about what the job really is because we're terrified. We're terrified of scaring talent away. We're terrified that if we were honest about what the job really is and what the company's really about, and by the way, most of the time, companies are terrified of talking about what they're really all about, we're terrified that the great candidate will never step foot in. But the truth is, if the candidate's great, they're gonna find the company that does talk about it. They're gonna find the company that is being talked about positively by their coworkers, by their actual employees, by people who work around there, who, who talk about and show off what their job is really like. Right? They're gonna talk, about, they're gonna talk to the companies who are very, very open about letting their staff talk about the job. And they're gonna be friends with that staff. They're gonna take them to coffee. They're gonna say, what's this job really like? What's this company really like? What's your boss really like? And that's where you get the straight dope. 
And those companies are the ones who do attract great talent. It's not about we're only going to show the positives and hide all the flaws because it's a job. There's no such thing as a job with no flaws. There's no such thing as a job where it's 100% buttercups and daisies and puppies licking your face all day. It's a job. They pay you for a reason because you wouldn't do this for fun. Regardless of what bullshit you may spew in an interview, you wouldn't do this for fun. They pay you. So that means there's negatives. There's paperwork. There's politics. There's process. There's whatever. The, you know, this is an office that's freaking freezing. <laughs> whatever it is, there's a part of it you will going to hate. That's life. So to say that we're going to hide it all and only show the good stuff really means you're lying and the candidate can smell that, especially great talent, and they go, look, I can talk to anybody. Why on earth would I talk to someone who starts off the bat lying to me? Tell me what's really going down. Make me, let me trust you. But no. We cast the net as wide as possible. We make the most positive spin on everything we do in the hopes of getting great gain, in the hopes that our recruiters, and God bless your recruiters here, and this is why, where you get put in a really shitty position, that the recruiter can sell the job not pitch the job, but sell that job to pretty much anybody. They can really close that deal. And by only spouting off positive things, they're really putting the recruiters in a shitty position where they're expected to close every deal. Now, and that's why you see recruiters with less than 50% close rates is because you've shoved a candidate through a recruiting process, not really sold them, not really given them a good reason why. And at the very end, when the recruiter walks in and says, here's the offer, and the person's like, you know what? I don't even want this job. And the recruiter pretend, you know, does that dance of, well, then why did you even go through this process? He goes, you practically grabbed me by the nape of the neck and shoved me through it. You begged me, and I'm interested. That's sure. Let's 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 learn about your company. This is the best way to learn about a company. Sometimes, yeah, that's this is a crappy company, and I don't want that offer because it's too low. And now suddenly the recruiter is the jerk. The hiring manager and the business manager look at the recruiter and going, you couldn't close the deal. Ugh. It's not their fault. It's not the recruiter's fault at all. The problem is, is that we are not upfront at the beginning. We're not clear at the beginning. We're not saying, this is what we want. This is what we care about. This is why this job is going to suck. This is who is going to be amazing at this job. Here are the minimum requirements. And we all know that half the time those job descriptions is a freaking laundry list of all things we could want. But in the end, only two or three of them are actually crucial for getting the job done. And the rest are just wish lists. But they're all sitting in a required field, so we have no idea. So candidates kind of go, well, look, they have no idea. I have no idea. What the hell? I'll apply. Click. Gosh, they've made this application process so easy. I'll just click the button, even if I don't want this job, even if I don't understand what this job is. And then you're creating cast-offs. You're creating waste in the system. You are generating 100 to 150 applications that only 10 of whom you're probably going to speak to, only three of them you're going to bring into the room, one of them you're going to offer a job. That's 199 to 149 people you're going to piss off. You can either black hole them, which is, is the ostrich move of hiding your head in the sand and pretending it doesn't exist. By the way, I can go into your ATS right now and tell you exactly how many people you've pissed off. And by the way, that number is going to terrify somebody. And if I brought that number to your CEO, heads would roll. Right? Is that not true if i looked at every cast off candidate whether they got a prep you know ple pleasant but completely bullshit email from an ats whether they got a phone call or not they're you're pissing people off that's just 
how it is, and any business owner would be pissed at that. So our job is to not collect resumes. Our job is to not collect potential waste in the system. Our job is to understand what the job really is, who would really be successful, and go find them. Now, not surprisingly, a great way to make that happen, and sorcerers, you have your own podcast to talk about how all that stuff works because I really don't get it, but another great way to make that happen is to build relationships before it comes to the point of here's a job, meaning tell your stories. Tell your employees stories, tell your staff stories, tell your charity stories, tell your volunteer stories, tell your award stories, tell your new office stories, tell your success stories, tell your failure stories, tell your stories. So that you can build relationships with great candidates in a way that is not saying, I promise you a job, I promise you a job, here's a job. And that's really what every application is, right? It's, I promise if you, if you squint real hard and you do the dance exactly right, there's a job at the end of this. That's the process. But instead of doing that, instead of making the job the bait, the, the dangling carrot in front of people, what if you say, look, here's something useful. Here's, an, here, here's how our data scientists are doing X. Here are, here's how our lawyers manage this problem. Here's how our sales managers think through big problems. Here's, here's how sales managers motivate teams, their teams. This is our process. You're going to learn something not just for yourself, but about us. And over time, it makes it very clear who that person is. The person reading all the information, what they care about, what they're interested in. You can track all that stuff. You can track if they click on stuff. You can track if they read it. You can track if reading that leads to an application. You can track all that. And you can learn very quickly who would be an amazing fit. Why? Because that person has an amazing engagement score. And your recruiter, who ain't no dummy, goes and says, ah, Jane Smith, got it. Jane Smith seems to be logging in from Tempe, Arizona. Hey, LinkedIn, type, 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 type. There's Jane Smith. Ooh, look at all these hard, skill, hard uh, skills she has. Look at all the experience she has. She, I bet she'd be amazing for this job. Maybe we should have a conversation with her about a job that might be opening up in the near future. That's infinitely interesting. Honestly, we should be living in a world without wrecks, without ATSs being public to the world, where I don't want to see here all the jobs. We should be living in a platonic ideal, which we'll never get to, but in a place where we go, I want to learn more about companies and what they're trying to do to see if I fit so that when I fit and I understand them and they understand me, we can find a mutually beneficial solution and not run a machine that generates more heat than light in the hopes of finding a diamond in the rough that doesn't exist, but in the process generates 150 pissed off candidates. You are flooding the Thames with crap, quite literally. Well, not quite literally, quite figuratively. <laughs> I'm only on my third cup of coffee. And that's going to be a problem. At some point, you're going to realize how many people you're pissing off, how many people you're making mad, how many people you're doing brand damage to on a regular basis. And it's not going to get fixed by... Um, the exit interview process or the candidate survey process because you're only sending those to people who you gave a phone screen to. Send it to the other 90 to 140 people who applied for the job who never had a shot because you didn't do a good job saying you're never going to be happy at this job or you are not the right fit or you need X level of education and we actually mean that. Why would you create that kind of animosity towards your brand? Oh, you don't care. It, the poop is flowing down the river. It's going to be somebody else's problem down the road. Well, guess what? It's soon to be 
your problem because business is getting wise to this whole problem going, what are we doing, right? The reason why internal comms and marketing is so involved or so antsy to be involved in the employer brand conversation is because they want to know what the heck is being told to our potential customers because that's important to them. So what do I'm at? What am I really saying here? What I'm saying is, is the opportunity to generate cast-offs, the people you're never going to hire and you never really care about, stop looking at them as remainders. Stop looking at them as uh, uh, meaningless but necessary cruft in the system. It's not. If you wrote your job postings better, if you posted your job postings better, if you were more clear on what you really cared about in the job, if you thought about, hey, here are the two things you, this job absolutely has to have, but here's five things we love for you to have, and you structured it such, people would understand what the job really was. And if you go back to our job posting uh, podcast, you learn there's a lot. that's a great way to attract more women and more minorities and grow a diverse audience, which by the way, you should want and you shouldn't just hope for, but that's a separate conversation. Um, that's how it gets done, by being more clear, by being more honest, by being more transparent about what you need and who you're looking for and who would be successful. That's what we're talking about. Stop looking at castoffs like something you can't help because there's no reason to generate them. There really isn't. All right, that's all I had. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next week. Bye. Well, the music means you've made it to the end of another episode of the Talent Cast. If this was useful to you, do not keep it a secret. Share it with your team. Share it with your boss. Share it with your networks. I don't know. Share it with your mom. Uh, if you have questions you'd like me to answer on a future show or just, you know, general ideas about how to make this thing better, just ping me on Twitter. You know, I'm at the War for Talent. At the War for Talent. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye.